just taking chances and being brave. And when you get an idea, just you got to go with it. If you see a need and you want to fill it, just make it happen. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey, folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we bring you number eight in the Sea Change series, my conversation with Nicole Heyer. Nicole is the homeless education liaison for Kalispell Public Schools in the Evergreen School District. She's also a graduate of the University of Montana Master's of Social Work program and recently won a major national award. Nicole was honored as the Homeless Education Liaison of the Year by the National Association for the Education of Homeless Children and Youth. Yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful, but it's a huge deal. In this conversation, we talk about Nicole's path to this type of work, the reality of homelessness in rural communities, a reality counter to many common stereotypes, and the ways in which homelessness affects women differently, especially moms. So here we go, Nicole Heyer, right now. Okay, so we're here today with Nicole Heyer. Nicole, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure. All the way down from the Flathead. All the way down. What a lovely drive. Did you make a special trip just for the podcast? I sure did. Oh my gosh, wow. And uh, we certainly appreciate that. Um, so Nicole, this this episode is part of our Sea Change series, and um, I am just super interested to learn all about your important work uh, up in the Kalispell and Evergreen School District. Is that mm-hmm. right? That's true. And you are... I don't know the job title. Is it homelessness liaison in the school? Yes, I'm the homeless education liaison for two school districts. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that job, it makes me happy and sad at the same time. It makes me sad that we need to have somebody in a job like that, but it also makes me happy that schools are creating those jobs. How long has that position been around? Um, so back in the 80s, really, um, it was identified that, I mean, you know, something that we're always doing in education, right, is identifying a demographic that has a uh, slightly different set of challenges uh-huh. to meet graduation standards. Um, so we identify that group and try to put supports in place for better outcomes. So um, this was at the federal level. uh, uh, The McKinney-Vento law was passed, and uh, underneath it, uh, subsection uh, pertains to students uh, at the elementary and secondary level specifically. Okay. So um, every school district in America uh, appoints a homeless education liaison, that's the law, mm-hmm. and uh, their job, uh, you know, it, you work as a social worker, um, but overarchingly, um, your job is really just to, A, identify the students who are struggling with homelessness, and then, um, put B, put supports in place. So some of those supports that they're legally entitled to okay. are um, free breakfast, free lunch, mm-hmm. um, making sure that transportation, no matter where they are staying, um, entitles to get them to the same school that they're okay. attending. So oftentimes I'll have students who are uh, in a temporary living situation, maybe couch surfing, and there may be, you know, 30 
30, 40 minutes away from school mm-hmm. and don't have transportation. So it is the school district's legal responsibility to send a bus to pick up that student wow. to ensure that they get to remain in their school of origin for the entirety of the school year. Okay. Um, you know, there are a couple other uh, provisions uh, that directly deal with um, education itself and um, some rights as far as the way that uh, the school can provide instruction and then add additional supports to to that. So um, enforcing that, right, that's, yep. that is someone's job within yep. every sure school district to um, identification is always the hardest part. Yep. Um, and so really working with school staff in the community to ensure that we're, we're catching these kids and kids aren't falling through the cracks. Gosh, so I have so many questions about yeah. that. I mean, I didn't even know this position existed yeah. uh, when I was a high school student and just sort of reveals so much of my kind of privilege-born blind spot. So I'd, I'd like to dig into those. But before we do, I, I just want to learn more about kind of the path that kind of got you into this work. I know you grew up in the Flathead, so the place you're working in doing this work is, is important to you, obviously. Um, yeah, graduated our master's in social work program this year. Yes, a couple months ago. Excellent. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the path that you took to kind of land in this in this work, why it became important to you. So I'm a third generation Montanan. Very, okay. very proud of that. Very proud. And um, I all would, up in the flathead. That's yes, this is true. So mm. uh, I've got some deep roots. Yeah. And um, so born in the flathead, um, you know, uh, to, to, to sum up my um, experience, uh, I would say that uh, even right now, as, as we're talking, a, a disclaimer, um, I have an ACEs score of seven. Um, so that kind Tell of... Tell me what that is. So <laughs> um, the, ACEs, uh, the ACEs assessment okay. um, looks at childhood trauma. Oh, um, and okay. so your score uh, ranges anywhere from zero to ten. Um, and okay, seven sounds high. Seven, seven is seven is high. Okay. Um, though you know, I will say that many of the students I work with have had uh, a far more traumatic sure. um, experience growing up than than me. But um, that said, you know, even sitting here with you right now, um, I can feel the, the effects okay. uh, of that, uh, you know, cortisol pumping through yeah, my system and like, you know, um, a little short of breath okay. and um, uh, just trying to remain grounded. So if I get off track, steer me back. No, that's totally fair. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, uh, tur- you know, turns out um, th- through my through my educational journey, school was very difficult for me. Um, I ended up dropping out of high school at the age of sixteen and living on my own wow. and um, working full time. Um, I was pregnant at nineteen and uh, kind of uh, followed the same path that many of the students that I'm currently working mm-hmm. very hard with to, to keep them in school. Um, you know, I, I never found that connection within my school community in order to really push me and sure. encourage me uh, or empower me to uh-huh. continue on. Um, so my path was definitely non-traditional. 
Um, I uh, received my, my GED and I um, worked as a single mother um, throughout my early and mid 20s, um, you know, as a bartender waiting tables, um, surviving in poverty um, and trying to raise raise my son. So, and did you have a place to call home during this time? Um, you know, there were times uh, growing up that I definitely uh, had to lean on support systems and. Um, you know, uh, I'll say this. This is just a good overarching statement. Um, doing the work I do uh, as a social worker, working with students and families experiencing homelessness, not one day of the work I do has been anywhere near as difficult as trying to navigate sure. uh, living a life in poverty. Yeah. So, um, you know, in comparison, <laughs> uh, the work I do is truly a privilege. Um, and when I, when I, even you know, some of the families I work with, uh, I went to high school uh, with some of these, some of these women, mm-hmm. and um, who now are single moms and on their own, and right. and trying to uh, raise their kids uh, in the best way that they can, so that their children can truly experience a happy, healthy, um, as well adjusted as possible uh, childhood. So. Um, you know, it, it wasn't until my mid twenties that uh, I was living in Minneapolis, and my son was about to enter kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a process there for kindergarten enrollment that looks like the student comes in, everyone gets assessed. And as I was sitting across from the stranger who is assessing uh, my five year old for yeah. kindergarten. She and I, my poor son, uh, the focus shifted from him and to me. And um, she thought that there was probably a really good chance that I was dyslexic. Oh, so and this was news to you. This was complete news to me. I never understood why school was so hard, uh-huh. and um, you know, I was always a bright young woman, and uh, but I just the the link between studying right translating that to academic performance is something different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hugely helpful. Uh, I I wish I knew where that woman was because I would just give her a big hug Mm -hmm. and a thank you card because it truly changed the trajectory of my life. Uh So um, I ended up moving home and uh, I decided after seeing for about six months a uh, speech language pathologist and kind of gaining tools in order to be able to sharpen my skills, um, you know, I, I want to say working with my dyslexia, um, I was I, I felt like I was ready to earn a degree and and go to school and um, you know working the jobs that I was working, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult for a single mom um, yeah. with a young son to be able to successfully navigate that. So um, I moved home and depended on my parents to help uh, with my son. And uh, yeah, I, I ended up um, attending two years at the community college up in the okay. Flathead yep. and then uh, uh, went on and did uh, two more years there for a distance learning program sure. for my elementary education degree you know at the time it was either my my two options for a four-year degree were either in uh, education or being a nurse Mm -hmm. um 
blood is terrifying. <laughs> though yeah, yeah, it's I kind of a problem for nursing, I suppose. <laughs> though, though one can argue that there's, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of bodily fluids working in an elementary yeah, school. Yeah, stipulated. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I, you know, I finished my course there and um, uh, student taught at the, the middle school, seventh grade science, and uh, realized that I just wasn't a good fit for the classroom. Um, okay. I, I naturally gravitated to uh, the students who were struggling. Um, well, that makes sense. Yeah, right? You, you I, identify I, with them and yes. you want to help them. And for yes. Sure. I mean, I, I hope I don't offend anyone, but, you know, um, beautiful uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Heather in the front row who gets straight A's, uh, you know, p- probably could have taught the class darn near as well as I could have. So I just was so drawn to putting all of my time and mm. energy, um, you know, in with the students that yeah. didn't quite fit the mold. Sure. My school district, I was lucky enough that my school district recognized that in me. And um, this job uh, as the homeless ed liaison became available okay. in mid-school year. Um, so I took it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, living in our rural area, normally the homeless education liaison for a school district um, isn't a side job. So you'll see a school counselor kind of tackle that. And yeah, I was wondering, on. is that a typical path for a, a teacher to roll into that? <laughs> certainly it, it's, not. Because <laughs> it, it certainly I could see how it would provide uh, a, a set of skills and a perspective to that role that um, it certainly wouldn't if it was tacked on to the, to the edge of a different job. Absolutely, no doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to meet with with students who are disadvantaged and and truly have a grasp on what is possible uh-huh. within a classroom to improve outcomes, yeah, um, has been incredibly helpful. And then, you know, not only that, but um, you know, teachers are their own crew, right? Like, <laughs> um, so it helps that I that I kind of have that backdoor access. Yep. Um, you know, to to be able to speak with them uh, at a level that they will also want to put, you know, the necessary um, tools in place for these students. Of course, yeah. And so, so thinking about this, I mean, let's let's kind of pull the lens back. I mean, I, I do want to talk about your experience here as a student mm-hmm. in the Masters of Social Work program, but before we do that. Let's just talk a little bit about the problem of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's portrayed often in our media and pop culture as a problem of urban centers. Mm-hmm. And it is definitely a problem in our urban centers, mm-hmm. but it's a problem elsewhere as well. It's a problem here in Montana. It's a problem in our rural communities. What is? How would you describe the challenge of homelessness in your community? You know, first, what I would urge your your listeners to do uh, is completely erase the image and idea that they hold of of who yeah. is homeless or what homelessness looks like, um, because you know when it when it comes to the students that I work with, um, I want to be clear in that the definition of homelessness is far more broad and wide ranging uh, when it comes to children, right? Anybody under 18. So, um, you know, given our government definitions of homelessness, Uh um, you know, many of the situations where my students would be classified as
as homeless would not apply to them, um, you know, once they turn 18. Interesting. Yes. So um, can we can, can you just kind of get specific with that in absolutely. terms of like what that like a like maybe a case study example that can help illustrate that fact? Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, the definition, the federal government's definition for youth are um, those that lack fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime residence. Okay. So what that actually looks like on the ground, um, I have many, many, the vast majority of my students are doubled up, which is a result of rural homelessness, right? Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have um, an abundance of resources. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, I've got a lot of n- not only just students singularly, but also entire family units that are um, constantly shifting and moving, living more of a nomadic lifestyle. Okay. So and hotel rooms, cars, yes, friends, hotel, couches, yes, campers. Campers, um, yes, yes. And, um, you know, hotels... Uh, you know, in rural areas where we lack housing really of uh, any sort, Mm -hmm. uh, let alone low-income housing, uh, like up in the Flathead, um, these, uh, there have been a couple documentaries recently that have talked about, you know, hotel homelessness, right? And um, a a parent wouldn't be considered homeless if they were living in a hotel. Um, Students are, uh, because, right, the goal of you know, giving this label of homelessness to students is so that they are allowed to, uh, you know, receive these rights, like staying in the same school for the mm-hmm. entire year, even if you're out of sure. district. So um, these hotels that these students and families are are staying in, you know, it's it's a really uh, unstable situation. I mean, period. Could mom find the sixty-two dollars today yeah. in order to be able to stay in You're this hotel yeah. room? And um, these hotels do not attract tourists mm-hmm. um, because the conditions are are just uh, shocking. Yeah. Just simply shocking. Um, you know, these hotels truly. Um, you know. That image of a slumlord in your head, with you yeah. know this this horrible man who's you know rapping on the door and coming to collect and twisting his mustache, um, you know it's sadly it's very real, really? and um, you know the 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 toxic environment that are these places. It's just this concentration of um, you know poverty and uh, drug addiction and mental illness and um, abuse of all sorts. And, um, you know, one problem that the school is always trying to tackle are, you know, treating for bed bugs and for lice so that students can get to school the next day. Um, It's just, it's really, truly horrifying. And that is a uniquely, I mean, that is um, more so a problem in rural areas because there aren't shelters. And I can tell you um, that the students and families who are living in these places are paying anywhere from uh, eight fifty to twelve fifty a month for their hotel room, um, right? So they could very easily afford yeah. rent. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard that. That oftentimes the barriers, the security deposit, or you know, the the, the sort of one time outlay of funds is 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 a really big hurdle for some of these folks. The blemishes on their credit reports. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, you know, that's 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 rural homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then when we look at uh, right now, 
rural homelessness is hitting pretty hard. Uh, in the social work world, there's been definitely a spotlight on rural homelessness lately. And um, especially in our state, we have these pockets, these areas where economic growth is happening yeah. at a, you know, an unprecedented rate, which mm-hmm. is amazing for um, those that for have some. made their lives there and um, you know are able to shift and change and adjust with the with the landscape. Um, but so many of our local populations are being left behind. Uh, you know, industry is in decline. And uh, so those families that have rich histories in these areas yeah. are, are truly, you know, I always um, liken it to the wagon wheel guy, right? Like he either had to start working with rubber mm-hmm. or his family was going to starve. Yep. And, um, you know, that's the piece that education plays uh, in in the growth and the future. Yeah. So speaking of education, so you transition into this homelessness liaison role. And at some point, as you're sort of digging into this problem, you decide to to go back and and get some further education, master's in social work here at the University of Montana. What what kind of prompted that choice? And, And you talk a little bit about your experience here as a student. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go back. Uh, I'll back up a little further than that. But um, so I started doing this work um, and uh, not knowing what to really do. Right? I was given. Yeah, exactly. I was given a lot of freedom Probably within not my a big district. Manual. Like, there, this is what you no, do. No, and there. Um, you know, again, there's only one in every school district. Yeah, so, yeah. So you don't have like a team of peers uh, no, to commiserate with. No. Um, you know, there wasn't really a training process. Yeah. So I was handed this law. Um, printed out on paper. (laughs) Really? An actual piece of legislation? A a piece of legislation was handed to me, you know, printed out on paper, and I used a highlighter. And my (laughs) school district said, we need to be in compliance. Oh, gosh. So make this happen. That's such a fraught sort of setup for success on the job. Like, here's this law. Go get us in compliance. Figure it it out. has nothing to. I mean, that's so disconnected <laughs> from the challenge and the, the you know the need that you're trying to address. Yeah. Just make sure we check this box. Yes. And hopefully, I'm not trying to present you know your school district as that callous. No. But I get. I I can see how those things would be set up that way. Yeah. And and you know, uh, to be completely honest with you, the funding, of course, always an issue. Oh yeah. So I was a 20-hour week employee. Yep. Um, and trying to learn uh, all of these societal systems. Sure. That- the play into homelessness, which is, you know, a, a rabbit hole I'm still figuring out as I go. So um, I started working with these students uh, and, you know, they're not being someone who 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 really uh, could could train me. Yep. Um, I got to pave my own path, which really cool. Uh, and and the results speak for themselves. So I started working with these students and realizing the real issue um, that our education system is uh, experiencing when working with um, some of these demographics of students are simply that we weren't prepared. We aren't prepared. Um, in order, this is what I'm seeing and experiencing. And again, you know, during the course of this conversation, I uh, just kind of want to give a disclaimer that I'm going to speak in generalities sure. here. So, um, you know, everyone's experience is different. And I just I want to honor that. But um, overall, our schools are not um, we're having to do more on less. Okay. Right. So. Yeah. 
um, in order to even be able to educate a student sitting in your classroom, yeah. um, which I found too difficult to continue teaching, uh, in order to even allow that uh, brain to be primed, right? The basic needs have to be met. Right, right. Um, And this in a time when, you know, we're seeing services cut, mm-hmm. Um uh, and especially for vulnerable populations. Um, so, you know, those under 18 and our elderly, we, we kind of see these programs kind of chipping away and this social safety net, um, you know, tightening up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, school districts aren't prepared for this. And, um, you know, meeting these needs that, um, you know, we weren't on the hook for. Yeah. Before, um, I mean, in, in, including uh, the range of social and emotional issues that students that have endured trauma face, and then um, you know, just and in general, having to provide mental health services now when schools really aren't set up um, to do that. Mm-hmm. So, in working with these students, um, I, I realized that you know these kids need things in order to even be prepared for the school day. So um, an idea that was really started by one of the high schools in my district some years back uh, was to, to build a little clothing closet okay. um, so that students felt comfortable in coming in and, and getting what they needed. Um, we uh, uh, sold it as a recycling program. Um, and very grassroots, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the newsletters that were sent home at the elementary school level, we just kind of put a little blurb down at the bottom that said, you know, hey, when, when your kids grow out of, uh, of their stuff. clothes, yeah. yeah, we need it. We yeah. need it. Clean out your closet. Bring sure. it to the school. We're, we're, we're going to give it to kids who can use mm-hmm. it. Um, and it just, you know, it grew and grew. Uh, it was a lot of work. I don't want to give the impression that it wasn't. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't obviously. happen. No, but... Um, really well received. Yeah. How was the community in terms of receptiveness to that? Yeah. Um, so that was by far the most difficult part of my position okay. um, was going out into the community and educating the community as to the needs uh, that these kids are facing within our schools. Um, you know, as you had alluded to earlier, you know, rural homelessness, um, it's actually called hidden homelessness. Um, And so it was very shocking uh, for me to go out into the community and, and people's reaction to hearing the numbers. You know, I work with uh, we identify about 350 kids every year who at some point during the school year were struggling with homelessness. Um, and it was it was shocking f- for people wow. to you know what, what be able to picture that. What percentage of the school that. district is that? Like it's, um, it well, sounds high-ish. Well, um, <laughs> you know. Or higher than I would expect, I guess. It, yeah. I, I mean, it is. It is. Um, but, you know, when you look at the statistics on poverty, right, there is um, a pretty direct correlation there. So at the state level um, of all adult males, 13% are living in poverty. Okay. For females, it's at 16, um, which which doesn't uh, seem like that large of a gap. However, um, children in our state are, are sitting at just over 21%. Wow. Um, yeah, so you're looking at more than one in five mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. youth in our state are, are, are living in poverty, um, which obviously is uh, the highest risk factor yep. for becoming homeless. 
A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Joe Anderson. I am the CEO of Reflex Protect, and you're listening to A New Angle. Um, and then I also wanted to mention to um, honor our neighbors here, our, our, our Native American population um, overall, uh, it sits at, at about 35%. Yeah, much higher poverty, rates right, there. Right. Um, and probably, you know, less, presumably less in, robust infrastructure for for services and so forth. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I think that there's also a, a gap, I know, in my area of, of people understanding that fully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so a bit of a challenge getting the message out in the community, getting people to understand that your mission yes. and why it's important to a healthy community. Uh-huh. That said, yeah. um, you know, the organization grew quickly, right? Sure. So we ended up filling more needs. Um, now the high schools have markets in them, uh, which act as little, uh, I mean, essentially little food, miniature food banks uh-huh. um, for students to be able to swing in on their way to the bus, uh, on their way out the door to be able to grab something to eat for in the evenings. Um, and then, you know, now the heart program has really expanded and, and we're doing uh, really unique things in the community. And I will tell you that, you know, this organization has been around now for um, about six years and uh, the growth has been unreal amazing. And I think that we will see school districts, I hope, I hope that we'll see school districts um you know, this little organization has essentially morphed into now like a little community center mm-hmm. um, where students and their families can come in and access resources. I have made amazing connections with the limited resources that we do have in the Flathead um, in order to be able to support these kids and families. And um, a very, you know, some unintended consequences of starting, uh, you know, a little organization like this within a school district have ha, are that, I mean, a the staff now is very sensitive and receptive um, to the idea of of supporting these students and yeah. really empowering them and, and lifting them up, um, and then uh, you know also. I work for the school district, so I get to meet with these parents, um, particularly a lot of single moms, um, who maybe didn't feel comfortable walking in uh, for that parent-teacher conference, yep. or, or you know, they maybe had a bad experience during their educational journey. Sure, um, you can certainly identify with that. Absolutely. Um, You know, and oftentimes the look is a little alternative and they aren't well received, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, when they walk into a school building. Or maybe they feel like they're not well received. All of the the in between. Absolutely. Um, And so it's been really cool to be able to get referrals from from teachers and other staff in the school district to have these families come in and to have me, an official with the school, shake their hand, look them in the eye and say, we are so happy to have your kids in our district. We are just, you know, and and then it also provides um, an opportunity for me to be able to sit down face to face with these parents, you know, log into the district's system, take a look at kids' grades, take a look at attendance, and really engage these families in their children's education. Doing real social work. 
in the moment. With, I'm, yeah. And I, and I don't mean to, I mean, as yeah. you're saying that, like the job title is homelessness liaison. You are this, you are this key point of contact. And w- we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but you've been getting inquiries from other organizations that have been having trouble getting um, people with needs to come in and, and take advantage of the services. And, and yes. part of this, the fact that you've had some success, probably a lot of it's attributable to some of your skills and your perspective, but also the fact that it's housed in a school and the school's been supportive of making this happen on school grounds. Is that accurate? Yes. So our location um, is an old uh, three-room, a uh, three-classroom building. Um, yeah. There was a gym and a few classrooms. That was about it. Um, the school district has grown uh, so to the point where, you know, um, we've built many school buildings since. And it was used basically as a storage facility for years and years. Um, and uh, the Heart Locker itself, which is the store, if you will, uh-huh. um, <laughs> the clothing store, uh, was we started um, – in a little storage unit, kind of like down by the train tracks. Mm -hmm. When I would meet people there, I had to like put up cones with signs because there wasn't really a road to get to it. I mean, all sort uh, of, all stuff that contributes (laughs) to stigma, right? Right. And, and, but you have to start somewhere, right? I've had other schools tell me, you know, this will never work. Right. We don't have the space. We can't do it. And it's like, no, actually, you'll find the path yeah. will reveal itself. Make it happen. Yes. So that's where we started. Now we're centrally located downtown. Super cool. Old gym. Um, half of the gym functions as the store, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, clothing, school supplies, personal hygiene products, bedding. Um, everything is free. There are no questions asked. You know, we have a little iPad that people, students, the doors open. Um, You know, my office is in this building and um, there's no one checking on people or hovering or there's no limits. There's no, if you need it, it's yours. Um, So people feel free to come in and and, and get what they need and go. And then the other half of the gym now serves uh, as a teen center. And that is, um, you know, a work in progress. Uh, It takes time. It takes time. Um, but this last year, we were seeing anywhere from 10 to 15 students a week coming in to utilize the teen center. Um, and that is where uh, I ended up getting phone calls from other organizations that were trying to run similar um, supports for students sure. of that nature. And, you know, they called me up. Uh, um, there was an organization here in Missoula that was saying, you know, geez, we're trying to get buns in the door here. How are you doing it? We're, put, mm-hmm. we're There are posters and there's flyers and they're, you know, but they're not coming and it's crickets. So, um, you know, I think that the true difference in what uh, my school district is doing is that it is the school district providing yeah. it. Yeah. Students feel comfortable. They know that the only agenda that I have is that they graduate from, <laughs> from school. Sure. Um, so it's a different feel it's a different vibe. I would say, um, you know, I work, I, I run teams of volunteers. Um, this organization all in total serves more than 400 kids a year. And um, the costs are about $15,000 a year to meet and fill all the needs that we have had thus far. What's the, uh, what's the kind of impact on the overall culture of the school? I'm thinking for the kids that you know, maybe come from a place of more privilege or perhaps have a blind spot to the to the homelessness issue. And do you have a sense for that? Is that part of the success of the program or, or how does that relate? Absolutely. So, you know, 
to integrate a program like this within a school, you know, it does. It takes time. Um, that said, though, I mean, providing you with that statistic that, you know, yeah. a little more than one in five mm-hmm. students are, are trying to survive in poverty. Um so, you know, what I started out as the homeless education liaison, I've pretty much just uh, filled the role of, of poverty liaison within my yep, school district. Yep. Um, the line there uh, has, uh, you know, I, I, we're never turning away anyone. We, we want to help and we have such abundance. So, um, yes, uh, you know, the markets located within the schools have been a little trickier um, to get to normalize within the yeah. school. Um, but that said, uh, you know, we've always couched it as a recycling program. Um, and it's been almost as beneficial for the students and families who who use the heart locker um, have <laughs> the community members and yeah. the students, you know, um, running a program like this, I didn't fully realize um, you know, we have more than a thousand employees <laughs> in my school district wow. and, you know, within a community, I mean, the school is the heart of the community and yep. all of those teachers and staff know people, mm-hmm. um, and all of the student body. Um, I've had so many clubs, groups, and troops contact me and say, you know, Hey, what, what can we do? And where perhaps, um, normally they would have been, you know, sent to the food bank or sent to the, which, by I mean, by the way, fully worthy causes. Yeah, great resources, um, yeah. But so cool that kids are helping kids directly, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I mean, I guess that's what I'm getting at with the question is, yeah. is there like a, a, an upswelling of community in the school district? I I believe so, right? Every school building is its own community. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there is a little difference. Well, school's this interesting thing because public school, you know, I, you, you were given the law, probably not the I don't know, whatever law governs public schools. Is it no child, child left behind still, or has that been tossed? I, I can't remember. <laughs> it's always a work in progress. Yeah. Anyway, but but we have this notion that like we create this e- equality of opportunity. Like every every you know every person has this um, should have access to an equivalent public education. Yet when it comes to this notion of homelessness, like the the challenges any particular student goes through to get into that classroom to be able to engage with that platform that's sort of built on this equality of opportunity it it it's a really interesting idea like that that you you're coming from a different background and that has a whole different host of challenges associated mm-hmm. with it but this this all these other dimensions of stress that affect your ability to consume that public resource you're right at the interface of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I I feel very honored that I get to hear and accompany these kids um, I, I, I through their educational journey, right? I mean, um, I, I get to meet with students one-on-one, uh-huh. um, and I get to know their stories, and... Um, you know, I'm, I have become, uh, now, you know, when there's an emergency, I get a phone call. Um, you're in the loop. Yeah. Even, you know, after the school bell rings. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, 20 hour a week job, right? (laughs) You're available 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, you know, I, here's what I'll say. Um, 
I try to explain to teachers and other staff, you know, that I really, really want them to imagine what it would be like to sleep in their car and come to school in the morning. You know, what is your job performance going to yeah, be like? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, are you going to have a short fuse? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you remember to bring a pencil to class? <laughs> did you, I mean, you know, things that... Uh, if you haven't had breakfast or dinner or yes. all those things, like, are, are you going to be able to function? Right, really. At the level I mean, you can need to? you get through your day? Um, you know, bottom line, we legally require students to be in our school building for a minimum of seven and a half hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on the flip side of that, uh, we have to educate every child to the best of our ability. Um, and so, you know, again, I just go back to schools are having to do and become more and, you know, we can fight it and we can gripe about it and we can make our complaints and say, you know, dang, we deserve better kids and we deserve better parents, you know, and we deserve and, and, and that's great. But, uh, you know, perhaps that is the case, but these kids also deserve a better school environment that is, that is warm and accommodating to what they need. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the stuff that you can change. Absolutely. can't do much no you can't so so you know to a certain degree in in building this program too um another unintended consequence is that we've really kind of empowered teachers as well yeah um to be able to get involved and help beyond the classroom um you know and truly uh, it, it it was all of these things that i realized about 3 years into the job that i desperately needed more of an education because my elementary education degree did not prepare me um, for it. any of this okay so we're back to the yeah so, we brought it back to the question here about we are. the masters yes. yeah took a while um, so and i i guess i would be remiss with that another question that uh, uh, that I want to investigate here is this notion of gender. I mean, as you were laying out your personal experience, you mm-hmm. know, having having struggles as a high school student that, you know, and, and not having your dyslexia diagnosed, mm-hmm. having to drop out, having to support yourself, mm-hmm. having a child as a teen, you know, these are these are challenges that I mean, some of those are challenges that affect men and women equally, but the challenge of of having a child and being stressed with income and homelessness i mean that that that's something as a mother that has to be uniquely um terrifying and uniquely challenging mm-hmm. and how is how has that played out in in your work how have you seen homelessness affect uh um families differently based on gender um so i have a statistic here that um in 2017 uh 41% uh, of children from uh, a home where single mom, right, head of the household, forty-one um, percent live at or below the poverty line. Forty-one is that is a Montana statistic? No, that's nationally. Forty-one percent. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, of course, we're looking at a concentration of that in urban areas. Sure. Um, uh, but uh, that said. Um, you know, women face a, a unique challenge in um, raising the children that they birth. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I work with 
definitely a disproportionate amount of single mothers who are struggling with homelessness. There's absolutely no doubt. That said, uh, you know, I also want to say that uh, single fatherhood is on the rise. Totally. Um, However, uh, you know, the challenges that you face as a single mother, um, you know, I think particularly here in Montana, we are known for our rugged individualism yep. and you're supposed to, you know, yeah, pick yourself up. Do it yourself. The, yeah, pull on those bootstraps and yeah. get going. Um, it's it's incredibly difficult with the lack of services and um, the ability to be able to feel successful in caring for your children um, living in poverty. Yeah. I mean, you know, I often think to myself um, when I'm when I'm working with these women, I, it, it, they are such a motivation for me. Um, you know, again, my my day is significantly less complicated um, than than trying to care. You know, for a couple kids, a few kids on my own. Yeah. Um, you know, you're there isn't one part of your life that isn't affected. When you're a mother, I mean that that changes who you are and mm-hmm. and your place in this world, the way you walk in the world, and your level of responsibility to you know it, it's your something bigger than yourself. Yeah, and you can't you can't turn it off. No, and you know um, what's truly this is you know I, I deal in a lot of really difficult situations, but here's what I know. Every single one of the families that I work with, um, especially single moms, they want better for their kids than they have and had. Um, And so no matter how big the divide may seem, um, you know, when I'm off work hours, uh, I mean, I'm here to testify that these moms are trying to do the best they can. And sometimes the tools just elude them, um, given their life circumstances. So, uh, you know, yeah, I just, you know, I'm having trouble finding the words right now because I'm these stories and these faces are just running through my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, they say that, uh, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Well, I'm here to tell you that these women and their stories that I've gotten the honor of sitting down and bearing witness to, um, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. I couldn't handle it. Um, It just, uh, the level of trauma and um, abuse and struggle and and, uh, just utter despair um, in so many pieces and parts of their life journey. uh, Yeah, again, I I think I might quit. Uh, But nonetheless, they get up every day and they make sure their kids are going to school and, um, you know, undereducated, no doubt. Um, So, you know, I've I've got moms that are working fast food at the drive through and they can only work during school hours because Mm -hmm. there simply is not child care. Um, You know, they say that we're lacking about 700 child care spots up in the Flathead Valley um, for what we could absorb. Uh Um, And, you know, that's not including those that are low income who can't even afford to access. Right, exactly. Um, So, you know, being these being these mothers, um, I think about how so many of their interactions during the day um, 
are so inhospitable, mm-hmm. right? Like the looks and the glares and the, you stigma. know, the stigma associated yeah. with that out in the world. And, and you know, learning from my master's degree here, um, as complicated as some of the material we covered was, uh, at the end of my journey, what I realized is that it really is as simple as human connections. Mm-hmm. And living in poverty is so isolating for just, you know, a myriad of reasons. And, um, you know, when you have these people in society that are are just so isolated, um, you know, these are kids and we got to love them and raise them as our own. Um, you know, it's, it's our community. And yeah. And so as you're, as you're outlining these just really difficult challenges, what gives you hope that you're moving the needle, that you're uh, making progress. I mean, this this problem that you're you're laying out there, it, it sounds a little akin to that mountains beyond mountains problem, but um, you are making progress. And how do you kind of conceptualize that and, and think about that in, in in the framework of your work? Well, so the good news is school districts collect a lot of data on students. Um, and we're already seeing improvements in graduation rates. Okay. And, um, in fact, the numbers came back from the state. Last year, uh, Kalispell schools had the highest graduation rate of our um, homeless McKinney-Vento students. Um, so that's definitely progress there. Um, and, uh, you know, something that maybe isn't as easily measured, um, just the feeling within my community. Yeah. Um, you know, I can tell you that uh, th- though it's it's been a, a long six years um, and a long journey, uh, I think that my community is far more educated and um, engaged in in truly understanding the struggles of of our neighbors and um, empowered to be able to do something about it. Um, you know, the school district is the heart of any community. Uh, education, this is it. This is the best practice, mm-hmm. right? This is yeah. um, uh, This is why we're here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're learning how to shift and change and adjust to the student body and their needs. And, um, you know, I, I think that at, at every level uh, we're seeing that. And and beyond the the sort of the changes in the community that you're citing, you've also received some personal recognition on a national level for the great work you're doing. Can you can you talk a little bit about that award? Yes. So um, NACI, which is the National Association for the Education of Homeless Children and Youth, it's a mouthful. That is. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a long one. NACI. Uh, they are any and everything. Um, you know, educating this highest risk group. Um, so, yes, I w- uh, received the opportunity to be uh, the first ever National Homeless Education Liaison, um, flew down to Southern California, and had to speak for about three minutes in front of 1,800 oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, it went. And <laughs> I will be um, presenting, actually, at the conference um, in D.C. this year awesome. um, as the outgoing uh, liaison of the year. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty cool that here in the state of Montana, um, in such a rural little pocket, um, we have 
uncovered something um, unique and a way for the school districts to truly engage with their community. Yep. You know, kind of before this program, you know, I run teams of volunteers. So, but over the course of a year, thousands of community members are involved in in some degree um, in, in what we're doing. And you know, before this, school districts um, are, are kind of kind of known to to work in a vacuum. And, and um, you know, if you wanted to donate your time to your local school district, it was really kind of, well, do, you know, do you want to help coach? Do you want to mm-hmm. read to kindergartners? And um, this is kind of that next level of bridge building. And, um, you know, I think that the students themselves see the effort and, and the works within the community, and it makes them feel like, you know, members, like they belong, and they do. Um, you know, the health of our community depends on them, too. Sure. In in looking at um, the Sea Change Initiative, in preparing for today, I, I sat down and I, I thought to myself, you know, what is it really that the university could do um, in the aspect of the work that I'm doing. And um, I can tell you this is kind of what I came up with in, in looking at the the change initiative bullet points. Um, you know, A, new collaborations um, with local school districts I think would be incredibly helpful. And then uh, also, um, you know, and I, and I don't know, perhaps this is not as realistic as I would hope, um, but I think that uh, having the opportunity to come here and participate in the Masters of Social Work program, um, so much of what we cover is community engagement and social responsibility, um, and that we come out of this university as educated string pullers. So what are we going to do? (laughs) Yeah, How how are we going to pull those strings? Um, And I think that overall, uh, you know, starting from elementary school up through secondary school and then then here uh, for higher education uh, I think that a focus on community no matter what your major uh, I think people right now are hungry for for a way to be in the world and I think that educators it's it should be a goal for every person no every student um, no matter what their degree is in to be able to step back and take a view of what they're going to be doing every day on their own personal anthill wherever that community might be and really truly be able to see their piece and part and their role in the health of the community and I think when we step back and we take a look at a community as a whole, just naturally we are going to notice the importance of women and mothers within the community mm-hmm. and um, have a better appreciation and be able to honor that. So outside of that sort of mindset change mm-hmm. and mind opening mm-hmm. uh, that you're describing, if folks listening want to get involved, contribute in some way, um, to your work or the work going on in, in their community, how would you recommend that they move forward and engage? Just taking chances and being brave. And when you get an idea, just you got to go with it. If you see a need and you want to fill it, just make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, along the way, you know, I, 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 I need to paint the picture that my school district and my community has been 
unbelievably responsive and supportive of of this new idea of of, of a way to uh, you know support students within our schools. But that said, you know, at the beginning there was definitely some pushback. Of course, um, and and people who you know, well, this will never work, and that's how could we do that? And oh, staffing, and um, you know, this list of challenges that that I was going to face, and you know, um, stepping out of the status quo sometimes is met with resistance. Yeah. yeah. Maybe more often than not. Um, so uh, I would just, I would encourage people to take a look at their community and fill the needs and um, just get out there and, and overcome whatever obstacles stand in your way and stick with it. Awesome. Well, that feels like a great way to bring this conversation to a close. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your experience with us. And uh, more importantly, thank you for the important work that you're doing. Uh, It was really inspiring to learn more about it and um, keep doing it. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that one and learned as much as I did. Check out www.umt.edu slash c-change to learn more about what's happening with C-Change. All right. Coming up next week, we have Lori Francis, Executive Director of Partnership Health Center. Learn all about that critical organization next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag, a new angle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.